0: And we have a great passage to look at here today in Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at reactions to the resurrection. Reactions to the resurrection. Acts chapter 17 and verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. And so Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite a woman named Demarius, and others with them. This text is set in the ancient city of Athens, Greece. The Apostle Paul has been left alone there after a couple of brief chaotic mid uh, ministries in the cities of Thessalonica and Berea. Uh, he was almost never isolated or left alone, and yet that's exactly what's happened to him. He's sent for Barnabas and Silas, uh, or used to having Barnabas and Silas, or Luke and Timothy and Mark, but not now. He's all alone. Uh, he's expecting Timothy and Silas to come soon. Um But that was not the case right now. You know, you can be in a big town with a lot of people and still be all alone. Ancient Athens was a huge and sophisticated city. It was renowned for its culture. It was renowned for its architecture and as a center of learning. The golden years of Athens had long since passed. Uh, Yet still, Athens was a cultural center and an educational center uh, for the ancient world. While Paul then was waiting, he began to move around that ancient city so long ago. And as he did, the Bible says that his spirit was stirred within him. Now, he hadn't planned to be there. Uh, He had not planned to start a church there. But he didn't want to waste his time there either. And so we see in verse 17 that he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Paul had the opportunity to go to the synagogues, which were the local religious gathering places for the Jewish people. There were Gentiles who believed in Israel's God, the Gentile worshippers who would gather there at the synagogues as well, and so he could address them and talk to them, and he talked to them about Jesus he also then went out to the marketplace now we don't think about marketplaces much anymore at least we haven't until recently and all of a sudden they've come back into world attention again but those marketplaces in the ancient places were kind of like our malls today imagine going to the mall and meeting the apostle Paul what an opportunity that would be Paul found a place to hang out And he would talk to people. And the Bible says he reasoned. And that simply means he conversed or he disputed, he argued. It referred to exchanging viewpoints and ideas or beliefs. This was something Paul did everywhere he went. He would always begin, no matter what the circumstances, with trying to disciple people, trying to see people saved, trying to see them baptized and added to a church. And that was never uh, something that changed in his life. And the reason was because that was what Jesus told us to do. As Christian people, we started doing this literally from the day of Pentecost because Jesus had told them in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Then on the day of Pentecost you see Simon Peter doing exactly that, standing up and preaching the Word of God. 3,000 people were saved. They were baptized, added to the church, and then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Folks, we've been doing that all these many centuries. Paul was doing it. We we are still doing it today. That's our task. That task never changed for Paul and it hasn't changed for us. Modern Christianity is quick to seize on almost any substitute for the task of making disciples. We can busy ourselves on social causes, feeling good about it because we couch it in a religious setting. After all, it's the church or we're doing it at church or The church is doing it, so the reason why we so easily substitute other activities for the role of making discipleship is because, listen, it takes disciples to make disciples. You cannot share what you don't have. You cannot teach something what you don't know. And if we're not living a life as a Christ follower, we cannot make Christ followers. Anybody can swing a hammer or or, or stick a shovel in the ground. But only disciples can make disciples. Everywhere Paul went, no matter what his circumstances, that goal of making disciples was always there. It was what he was and what he had. Paul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changed his life forever. He was never the same. And because he had experienced that life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was eager to share it every time he got the opportunity. So here he is alone. Surrounded by a huge city he had never planned to be in. And yet we see his spirit stirred to make disciples. It is a great time for us to ask ourselves a question today, church. And today as Christian people. We find ourselves in unprecedented circumstances. We find ourselves in situations we didn't anticipate. We never intended to be here. We never thought we'd be here. We didn't plan on being here. I promise you that. But we are here. And the question is, is our spirit being stirred during these days to make disciples of Jesus Christ? Do we look around us then and see... The open opportunities that are there all around us to share our faith and to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ on display. Need is everywhere. Paul wasn't put in Athens by a virus. He was put in Athens by persecution. That's what had him there. Preached in Thessalonica and he had to rush out of town ahead of a mob that was going to kill him. He went on to Berea and the people in Berea were very receptive. But it wasn't long before the people from down the road at Thessalonica came there. And lo and behold, he had to rush out again. That's how he landed in Athens, left all alone. What's he do? He has a stirred spirit for making disciples. Let's ask ourselves this morning, is my heart being stirred? Make disciples. Paul's task had not changed, you see, by the change in circumstances. Neither has ours. Our task is still the same. Going into all the world to make disciples. That is the only thing that Jesus ever told his church to do was to make disciples. Everything we do then has to fit under that general umbrella. Is this something we're doing to make disciples for Jesus Christ? Now, some have mocked Paul because he didn't know the difference between a statue and an idol. I mean, uh, it was said that it was easier to find a god than a man in Athens. I I don't know about that, but uh, I do know one thing. Uh, Historically, we know it also even today. There were statues all over that place. And somebody said, well, Paul called them all gods. No, Paul knew a god when he saw one. Now, these things were made of marble. Yes, they were statues. Yes, they were artistically renowned from all over the world. But yes, they were the depictions. Of their pagan idols and the deities that were represented there were the fabrication of their own mind. Paul stepped right into that scene and preached to them the living Savior Jesus Christ and it wasn't just that he was telling them a story about a deity the Son of God who had died and rose again Uh, uh, they would have heard that story a time or two before This was something else. Because the message of the resurrection is not just that Jesus died and rose again. The message of the resurrection is that he'll do the same for you. That the life that could not hold him in the grave is not going to hold you in the grave either. That the same life that God has given him, he'll give to anybody who believes on him. And as Paul then began to preach to them the glorious truth of the resurrection, then we find the responses that are mentioned in our text today. Paul gave everybody the same message. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 14 he said, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to the faith as it is written. The just. Shall live by faith. There he was. All types of people wealthy people, impoverished people, much like our town today. Look around the city of Cabot, Arkansas, you'll see people ranging from the highly educated, the educators themselves, the professionals and entrepreneurs and businessmen, all the way down to the blue-collar workers on the other side of the spectrum, the day workers then, the essential workers. We have them all. We have stable families, uh, long, long long-term generations of stable families. We have uh, single moms and, yes, even single dads these days. Some of these families are enjoying their extra time together. Some of them are about to pull their hair out. I I know how it is. I ask you again. Is our heart stirred for making disciples? Paul's was. Paul's was. I wish I could tell you that a massive revival broke out in Athens, but that's not the storyline. It would happen in other cities. Ephesus, no no less of a cultural center. Ephesus, no less of a population center. Ephesus, no more or or less of a crossroads uh, of culture than Athens was in Ephesus. There would be a mighty revival, so much so that it changed the whole character of that city. Not in Athens. But still we see Paul in an unfamiliar situation with a familiar ministry and a familiar message. And then we see the response. There's three of them mentioned in our text, and we'll look at these briefly this morning. First of all, notice the mockers. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. This was going on at the Hill of Mars, or what we know as Mars Hill. It was the center of Athens' world-renowned university crowd. Uh, Here was Paul, no dummy himself, highly educated former Jewish rabbi from Tarsus turned Christian. But here he is now standing in the city of Pericles and Demosthenes the Boston- the- the- and so- Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and Sophocles and Ep- uh, the Eur- Euripides. I'll get my Arkansas tongue around all those Greek names eventually. in it's, it's Agora Socrates had taught. There was the academy, world-renowned of Plato, the Lyceum of Aristotle, the porch of Zeno, the garden of Epicurus. There was Paul in the midst of all of this. And he's preaching Jesus Christ. They called him a babbler. The L- Literal meaning is a seed picker, which is comparing uh, Paul to a, a bird pecking a seed. <laughs> in other words, they were calling him a bird brain. Uh, what's this bird brain put out? Uh, you don't have to travel very far in today's world to hear that exact attitude levied toward the people of God. I read an account recently of one of our national political leaders, and the person who was writing about him said, he didn't even believe in science. Well, you must be an idiot. Believe something like a Bible or believe message of Christianity. That's exactly what Paul was facing there in Athens. In this message, though, Paul had an opportunity to turn the tables on them a bit, and he started with their deity. In verse 23, he said, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. You know, it's hard to bow and worship a God you don't even know. That's bound to leave a big hollow spot. And Paul knew that all of their worship of these lifeless statues and gods and all their altars had never satisfied the longings in their hearts and lives. And I want you to know that same thing is true today in the United States of America. Americans worship many things. After all, we have a television show called American Idol, or at least we used to. We idolize sports figures. We worship them with our devotion to their game. We idolize entertainment figures, and we worship them by hanging on their every word and paying out exorbitant sums of money to go see them and be in their presence. The ancients worshiped a god named Mammon, which was the god of prosperity. America knows a whole lot about the god of money and prosperity. Remember that nothing is too good for a man's God. Uh, When you have uh, your God, well, uh, you'll do anything for your God. You'll give anything to your God. When we make a God out of sports... Then we will do anything and give up anything for it. When we make a God out of money, we'll do anything and give up anything for it. We make a God out of entertainment. You'll give anything to it and for it. But I want to ask you something this morning, as Americans, listen, where's your God now? Where's your God now? How much does it take to put your gods out of business? Something so small, I I can't even squeeze my fingers close enough to talk about how small it is. A virus, you can't even see. Yet all these things that we have worshipped and idolized and given our lives to, they're all gone. They're all shut down. Can your God be shut down? A lot of people worship themselves. Can your God get sick? How much does it take to put your God down? Well, I'm glad to be able to say, like Paul of all, that I worship the God who can't be confined in a box. He doesn't get sick. He doesn't get tired. You can't shut him down. Nothing that's going on in our world has bothered God at all. The the throne is still occupied today. The tomb is still empty. And Jesus Christ lives in me. And he'll live in you if you'll accept him. Oh, but everything's going to be fine when we get a Trump check. You waiting on your Trump check yet? Man, I yeah, man. that's going to be good. Let me tell you something about your Trump check. It's not really going to change a whole lot. You know what's going to happen? You'll get that thing and you'll say, oh, there it is. And you'll look back and you say, where'd that go? Where's your God, America? Well, it was here just a minute ago. Isn't that the way money goes, guys? Aren't you glad that Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? We have a God who never abandons us, never hear one moment gone the next because he lives inside of us. He's always with us. Well, he moved on, and he says then in verse 24, a God that made the world and all things therein. Remember, we're talking about the mockers, those who were mocking God, and yet Paul is responding to all that. Let me talk to you about this God you don't know. This is a God that made the world, verse 24, and everything in it. This is a God who is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. Verse 28, for in him we live... And move and have our being, you see, Paul wanted to remind them that we become like what we worship, and their gods were dead and empty, and their worship left them the same way, and the gods of America will do the same thing Paul 's message then, and our message today is that there is only one God who is alive. <laughs> And that one God has a name and his name is Jesus. This is a God who came and was born into this world and who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross, was buried and rose again. I call then today on you to believe in the God who never leaves you in the God who will forgive you of your sins, the God in whom you can live and move and have your being. I may be talking to somebody today and you're sitting there in your living room because your family's gathered there and you don't want to be left out. Maybe you've mocked God. Maybe you've laughed at Christianity. Laughed at the church. But I want you to listen today. Down deep in the depths of your soul. Paul knew in Athens and I know right where I stand today. Down in the depths of your soul. There's an emptiness that your gods have never filled. Whether you've worshipped yourself and your own ability and think you can make it on your own, or whether you've filled up your mind and spent your energy on all these other things and given your devotion to all this other stuff, it hasn't filled longing in your soul. And there's more. Because times like this put something else Not only is there a longing in your soul, but there's a fear, a gnawing fear, down deep in your very stomach. As we said in South Arkansas, down in your gut. You feel the fear, bone deep. I preach to you the same Jesus that Paul preached in Athens. The one who died and rose again and who will give you life. If you'll let him. He doesn't care that you've mocked him. He'll forgive you for that too. Just ask him, Lord Jesus, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Be my Savior. I trust what you did for me on Calvary. If you'll do that, (laughs) then you'll find out that the gospel will change your life. He will. Well, the mockery didn't stop in Athens and it's not going to stop in America either. After all, when you can't respond to the power uh, of the gospel and you can't refute the power of what's being said, ridicule often works if nothing else but for yourself. Just laugh it off. That's what they did in Athens. I hope you won't do it today. That's the mockers. Now, I want you to see the delayers. They said when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear you again of this matter. And so Paul departed from them. The most frequently used response, and by far and away the most popular response to the gospel, is not now. Not now. I need more information. Want to hear more about this? I don't want to make a decision right now. If you listen to our Good Friday service Friday, you might remember you heard me speak about Pilate's decision uh, not to make a decision. And that's exactly what happens all over the world as people are confronted with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They decide not to decide right now. That's a very addictive thing. I know I may be talking to someone you've been waiting to decide for a long time. You intend to, you're going to, you're thinking about it. Some maybe you thought you made a decision somewhere back long ago, but there is something not right between you and Jesus and you know it and you know you need to do something about it. But not now. I want to remind you of a passage of Scripture from Paul's own life in Acts chapter 26 and verse 14. When he was giving his testimony, he said, When we all fall into the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, this was the voice of Jesus Christ himself, by the way, speaking to him from heaven. And what did he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. We talk about it all the time. We're going to kick the can down the road. What's it mean? It means I'm not going to deal with it right now. I'm going to kick it down the road. I'll come back to it some other time. But let me tell you something. When you kick the gospel down the road, the gospel kicks back. (laughs) that's That's what Jesus said. It's hard for you to kick. It's got a point on it. When you kick that can, it kicks you back. And the harder you kick it, the harder it hurts you. You're trying to avoid making a decision. And that is a chronic problem in every area of life in America today. It's a shame how many people are living these days without a marriage commitment. Men, you're putting off doing something you know you need to do. And that is Mary, that woman who loves you, who gives herself to you, who has born your children. She's not going to ask you. She's waiting for you to ask her. And you've put it off, and you've put it off, and you've put it off, and you've put it off. I want to tell you something about it. It locks you into a cycle of, de- of, of delay. It's addictive. There's always another excuse for why not now? Why not now? Why not now? <laughs> I may be talking to some man right now that needs to get on your knees, and the first thing you need to do is you need to apologize to that woman that you hadn't carried through with your commitment to her the way you should have. And then make it. If you need somebody to marry you, call me. (laughs) I can practice social distance. We can go out in the yard and we can take care of it. I use that this morning simply as an example because we see it all the time and some of you are living it out. It is how we get addicted to saying, not now. I'll do it later, but not now. And that is the most dangerous thing we can do in spiritual matters. We'll hear you again, they said, Paul said to Paul, we'll, we want to hear you another time. No, they didn't. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says Paul departed from them. Paul left. We'll hear you again. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. The delay tactic always finds another reason to delay and Paul knew that you're wasting your time trying to appeal to that. You want to hear me again? Paul could have said, sure, I'll give you another chance. He didn't. Because he knew their only hope was to break out of that cycle and say, now, now, now is the time. Today is the day. I'd encourage you not to even wait to the end of the service. You don't have to. Right where you're sitting or standing, right where you are, you can bow in your heart. You can get down on your knees. It don't hurt you none. And say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry I hadn't been saved before. Please forgive me. Please forgive me for those times I've mocked you. Please forgive me for the times that I've gone my own way. I know you took my sin to the cross. And you live today. Please forgive me. And be my Savior. He'll save you right where you are. And right now. So on that hill long ago in that ancient city, there were the mockers. And there were the delayers. But thank God, there were also the believers. Verse 34. Some men joined him and believed, the Bible says. Dionysius... We don't know anything else about him except that he was from Oropagus. That's all we know. Uh, this lady named Dem- What was her name again? I not <laughs> Demarius. Demarius, yes. There was a lady named Demarius. I, I remember her, yeah. And there were others. Isn't it great that I can stand here in Cabot, Arkansas right now live and say to you that you can be one of those others today? I hadn't preached all of Paul's sermon, but I preached enough of it for you to get the gist. The message of it is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived, died, and rose again, and he'll give you life if you'll ask him to. Some believed, and you can be one of those today. The mockers, you see, would one day regret. They would regret that they had laughed at Jesus. They'd regret... The day they mocked that seed picker, bird brain, Paul. They'd regret it one day. I promise you. I promise you. Every one of them lived to regret the time they mocked the message of Jesus Christ. Those delayers, the ones that just put it off some other time, kicked the can down the road. I'll I'll deal with this again another time. No, they didn't. I can promise you today that every single one of them regretted that they put it off. They may have never thought of it again, but there would come a day when they'd know that they heard the truth of Jesus Christ, and their decision to delay was in fact their decision that became their eternal decision. I don't know how many people believed that day, but I can assure you of one thing. Not one of those people that believed on Jesus Christ lived to regret it. The mockers do, the delayers do, but not the believers. I've never spent a minute of my life regretting that I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. Not a minute. Not a minute. And if I had a thousand lives, I'd want to live every one of them as a believer and the one who took the nails from me. Plead with you today. On this day of all days, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But remember God's people, how we started with this message. Paul's spirit was stirred. Unprecedented times, unprecedented circumstances, living in isolation, though he was in a big city. Not by virus, but by persecution, but still Paul there. But his heart was still on the Great Commission. His heart was stirred, stirred to make disciples. We're going to have a word of prayer and then our praise team is going to come and lead us in our closing song. Join me as I pray together. Lord, I pray right now.